Good morning, church. Good to have everybody with us today. We want to welcome uh, all of our family out at uh, Stone Canyon and Vertigris and everybody online. Good to have you with us as well. And man, this has been a pretty uh, busy month around here, especially with uh, Love 918 uh, activities going on. I think the truck's been out uh, uh, several times every week uh, over the last several uh, weeks. Today, uh, we have amazing games happening up at the high school and and uh, so lots of good stuff there. Our Mexico team, uh, we've been praying about them, talking about them the last several weeks, and uh, they got back Tuesday, had a fantastic uh, experience down in Piedras Negras, Mexico. And so uh, next Sunday, we're, we're going to take some time next week, just a special time, talk about some of the outreach uh, ministry that's been taking uh, place, not only here, but globally that we've been a part of, that you've been a part of, that you've made possible through uh, your giving and, and participation. So uh, I'm excited about next Sunday. hope you'll be here uh, for that. Uh, so, but hey, this Sunday we're wrapping up our series we've been in over the last several weeks called Contrast, as we've been uh, uh, hitting some specific topics through uh, or from the, the book of Proverbs. And hopefully you have taken that challenge to read a uh, chapter out of Proverbs every day during this series. Uh, today being the 29th, you would be reading chapter 29, and we're about to wrap it up. So I hope that uh, you've been doing that. Some people do that every month. And uh, just always good to read a chapter out of Proverbs. It just takes a couple minutes. And, but I hope you've been tracking along with us on that. It's been very valuable, I know, for, for me. And I've had others talk to me about that. But, uh, but in this series, we've hit a number of different uh, contrasting topics uh, that uh, Solomon laid out for us. We started off by talking about the uh, fool versus the wise. Remember that one way back a few uh, weeks ago? Uh, then we talked about pride versus humility. And then laziness versus diligence. That was a tough one. And then uh, last week, uh, Michael DeFazio was with us and shared about uh, dishonesty versus honesty. This week, we're going to wrap up the series by talking about wickedness versus godliness. Now, we didn't choose this topic because Halloween's this week, and we thought, man, wickedness, that'd be awesome. Let's talk about that. That's not why we did that. Uh, it just fell that way, and, uh, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And, and, and you know, you might, you might look over these last several uh, weeks that we've been together, and, you, you, you know, every one of them probably hit us between the eyes, right? I mean, you, you think about each one of those topics that we talked about, and when it talked about, you know, being the fool versus being the wise, you know, all of us, we do foolish things, don't we? You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I've been there. Or maybe it was uh, the pride versus humility. You know, every one of us struggle with pride at times, right? And so maybe you walked out of here going, oh, yeah, I know. I look down on others sometimes. I think my, more of myself as I should, you know. And so maybe, maybe that one also hits you. Maybe it was the laziness, yeah, we're all given a laziness at times, right? Not getting things done that we should. Or maybe it was last week, whenever we were talking about dishonesty and honesty, because I think every one of us have time, uh, troubles at times telling the truth. We have truth-telling issues at times. We want to make ourselves look better than we really are, and so we withhold things and we share things that maybe aren't really, really true. And, and so maybe you walked out of here, even last week, maybe every week you've walked out of here going, oh, Man, I need to be better. And I hope, maybe, you know, it's challenged all of us to grow. But, and so maybe you hear today's topic in wickedness versus godliness and go, yes, I'm not wicked. <laughs> Great. Okay, be careful. Um, don't judge yourself so quickly. You know, there are 92 verses uh, through uh, the book of Proverbs that deal with wickedness versus godliness. 92. 
And I have to wonder, is there a reason why he hid it so much? <laughs> Probably because every one of us, we do struggle uh, with having a wicked mindset internally. We struggle with striving to live that godly lifestyle that we've been called to. Maybe we need to start off by just kind of defining what he's talking about whenever he talks about wickedness. If we put a definition to it, it'd be this, a mental disregard for justice, righteousness, truth, honor, virtue, evil, being evil in thought and life, depravity, sinfulness, even criminality. Oh, well, I'm not there. Well, it's mental disregard. It's that inside of us that just has that evil propensity, sinful propensity. Well, it goes on. Uh, this is a, from a Bible encyclopedia. This is the definition it gives. Wickedness, like all forms and thoughts of wrong, kept warm in mind. I like that. Kept warm. We just kind of keep it there. It's right there underneath the surface. Seems to be a thing of growth. Hear that? Wickedness seems to be a thing of growth. It begins with a thought, then a deed, then a character, and finally a destiny. You see, it seems that in this life, uh, people, we sometimes, we, our, our wickedness progresses. <clears throat> Unchecked wickedness progresses in our lives to a point where good men are no longer good men. The prophet Isaiah says this uh, over in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 and 21. It says this, woe to those, cursed are those, or right? woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own Side. He says, the wicked, they are the ones who come to a place where they call good, evil, and evil good. We look at this world, and we look at the things in this world, and there are some things in this world that we think, hey, yeah, that's pretty good. But in the root of it, if we really examine it, it's not. Jesus even speaks to this over in Mark chapter 7, verse 20 through 23. He says this, and he said, Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wicked, wickedness, there's the word, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile Person. It's what's on the inside that matters. That's where it begins to well up. And when it is left unchecked, when it is not dealt with, it grows. Been there? Sometimes we keep little pet sins, right? Well, we do, do away with the bad things. That list that Jesus gave, you know, well, you know, I don't, you know, meddle in with, you know, the sexual immorality, the adultery, the murder, theft. I don't do those things. But we have our own little pet sin, and we keep it kind of in the back corner of our mind and our life, and, and we kind of pet it, and we stroke it, and we feed it, and it grows. Do you have one? That's wickedness. But what does godliness look like? Let's kind of put a definition on that. Let's define it. We would say this, reverence, godliness is reverence for God and a life of holiness 
in the world. Divine, pious, devout words that are go along with it. A person, it is a person who uh, is using wisdom from God to apply knowledge rightly and correctly. Jerry Bridges, author, he defines godliness this way. It is a devotion to God which results in a life that is pleasing to him. I really like that. A devotion to God that results in a life that is pleasing to God. A life with good characters God has called us to. Paul seems to uh, press hard onto some of the young men that he mentors. We look through uh, the, the letters that he wrote to Timothy and to Titus, and, and he, this, this is a common theme, a common topic that he touches on with both of those, those men. And, and over in Titus chapter 2, he says this to, to Titus, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. He says there, grace has come, grace has been made evident, and that grace is training us, literally disciplining us to be godly. Grace. Maybe that's a little bit of what Paul was talking about over in Romans uh, chapter 5 whenever he says as sin increases, grace increases all the more. And then he, then he had to ask the question, so does that mean that we go on sinning so the grace doesn't increase? And, and maybe the point that he was making there is that God gives us grace not so that our sin can just keep going and we just know well, if I sin, his grace is there. No, but that we are then convicted to say, I need to do better. That grace is there for us to actually to discipline us to be godly. Yeah, I, I've I've seen uh, had the privilege of seeing uh, a lot of people in my life who I would consider to be godly. I, I would put that title over them, and and quite honestly, most of them wouldn't be people that, that weren't people on a stage. They, uh, they, they weren't people who wrote books. They, they, they weren't people who were out front. No, normally they were the people who were behind the, the scenes, in the, in the background, changing diapers, sweeping floors, cleaning up messes, visiting the sick, serving, loving, sacrificing. Those are the people that I would characterize as being godly. It's probably, it can probably be said, or it's probably true, that, that we have a, a public face that we want everybody to see, and then we have a private face that really we hope people don't see, right? We want people to see in us the things that, that have been kind of laid out for this godliness, we come to a place like this and we, we disinfect ourselves, if you will, of any wickedness and we kind of put on the, the face, the show, whatever, and, and strive to, to look godly. But what's on the inside? Because it's what's on the inside that matters. Wickedness left unchecked grows. Whenever I was in junior high, I think I was sixth, seventh grade, and, and I had an Atari. Huh? Atari, yeah, yeah, Space Invaders. 
you know, one stick. That's all you needed, right, you know? And uh, I remember this uh, particular afternoon, came home, I'm in the living room playing my Space Invaders, and it was intense, and my mom was in the kitchen right next to the living room, and I was playing, and I was into it, and I died, and I let out a very loud cuss word. I won't share what it is. But you know it, all right? And my mom was right there. I don't, I don't remember what punishment I got. I'm sure the video game went away. and You know, I deserved it all, you know, whatever punishment I got. But, but that word came out, and it was, not, it, it was not indicative of the life that I'd claimed to be living as a Christian. I, I knew that. I, I, but I also knew that I cussed a lot at school around my friends. I just didn't do it at home. At home, I disinfected myself, and I didn't let everybody know. Or at church, but it came out. And my mom was shocked. Been there? When you just let it slip, that little pet sin just sneaks out and gets past the gate that you had placed in front of it. What was on the inside came out. Couple, uh, well, actually, this is—I think just last week. That yeah, was two weeks ago. Uh, we're uh, uh, we're down. Several of my buddies and uh, Jaden were down in my father-in-law's shop working on our on his Jeep, on my son's Jeep. I've been kind of telling that story a little bit. And and hey, we got it running this week. Woo. Anyway, um, and so we were after we got through working, we had been we were coming back down to the house and and because it's just you know three houses down and or two houses down, and so we're coming back and I begin to smell it. There's a skunk. Pull into the house, go, come into the house. and I mean, it's in, it has infiltrated our entire house. The dogs got a skunk, all right? Or, or maybe the skunk got the dogs. Oh, yeah, that's probably a better way to put it. And, and, the, and the smell had just everywhere. And, and, and Steph, she was home at the time, and, and she's like, she had given the dogs a bath already trying to get the smell out. She had the... Uh, essential oils, that's what it's called, already going, trying to mask it, you know, candles are going, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of an air freshener, like, well, get rid of it, but it was there, you couldn't, you couldn't cover it up, you couldn't mask it, it was, oh, it stunk, been there, <laughs> like a junior high boy at camp, <laughs> doesn't shower, I went swimming, well, you smell like BO and chlorine now, you know, it's like, I sprayed on Axe. Well, now you smell like B.O., chlorine, and Axe. All right, that's awesome. Um, we try to mask it. We try to shove, uh, disinfect it, and, but it's still there. God calls us to pursue a life of godliness and to kill that which is in us that has anything to do with wickedness. That's what we're called to and in Proverbs, Solomon addresses this on a number of occasions. And so what I want us to talk about today is just some of the contrasting uh, uh, verses that he gives. Remember, there's 92 of them, so we've got to fly if we're going to hit all of them. We're not, okay? But we're going to be over in, in Proverbs chapter 12, and where we were last week, backing up just a little bit, and see what 
Solomon addresses there. So look at verse 2 there in Proverbs chapter 12. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. No one is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. I think Solomon here identifies several different contrasts between the wicked and the godly. And I just want to highlight these real briefly here. And uh, maybe, maybe you can identify with one of these. He starts off there by talking about the response of God, the contrast of God's response towards the wicked and the godly. You know, through, throughout the Bible, we are, it is identified those who both please God and those who displease God. It's not something just Solomon does. We see that in a number of places. But if you look at verse 2 here, it says this, A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. When he, when he talks about the good man, the godly man, he, he receives favor from God, acceptance from God. It doesn't mean that, that fa favor doesn't mean it's been taken so many places and, and distorted in so many ways in the church throughout years. Uh, it doesn't mean that everything you touch is going to turn to gold because, you know, you have the favor of God upon you, but you have the acceptance of God, and you can approach this life and whatever comes with that knowledge and that hope and that comfort and that peace and that joy that come from him. We have his favor, but it says there that the wicked are condemned. Those who walk in wickedness, they are found guilty of evil. They are sentenced to death. Now, now, to be clear, none of us are good, right? <laughs> do, do we know that? No, not one of us is good. For, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that. We, this is not, I, I'm not here to say that, yeah, we, we become good enough to be accepted, and this is a, a works-based salvation. I'm not saying that at all. We know that that's not possible, our goodness, our our good enoughness is only accomplished through the blood of Christ that was shed for us and that cleanses us. And that then leads us into this life devoted to, results in a life devoted to God that brings him pleasure, brings him happiness, pleases him. So I don't want us to, to venture down that road of work-based theology, but God does desire for us as his followers to live a devoted life to him, a godly life for him. And we have the promise of his favor being upon us. You see, the, the fear of the Lord, one has put it this way, that the fear of the Lord is the soul of godliness. I like that. We're to have a fear of, for the Lord. The wicked, the only fear of God that they have is a fear of judgment to come, though many of them don't fear that. But it's the only fear that they could have, should have. 
But for the godly, we have a fear of God. But our fear is in a reverence and awe of who he is. Because we've stepped into a right relationship. We've stepped into a promise. And now we have his favor upon us. And we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul says. And so God responds to the wicked and he responds to the godly in different ways. How, how is God responding to you? I think another one that we, another contrast we see is, our, is life stability. Life stability. In life, we, we preach about this, we te- teach about this, we share about this, and we experience this, that life is filled with storms and trials and challenges that, that come. And how we have been living our life, what we have founded our life upon, what we have rooted ourselves in, determines how we sustain ourselves, how we make it through to the other side of the storm that that comes, right? That's what Jesus talked about over in Matthew chapter 7. We talked about that earlier this year, the wise and foolish builder. Wise man built his house upon the rock. We can sing the song. Solomon talks about it here. Look at verse 3. He says this, No one is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved. He uses the metaphor of a tree the wicked, they aren't established. The roots don't go deep. The wind blows, it blows over. There's nothing to keep it standing. But the righteous, their roots are deep. He says they'll never be moved. If you go on to verse 7, he kind of reiterates the same idea. He says this, the, the wicked are overthrown and are no more but the house of the righteous will stand. Now he changes the metaphor from a tree to a house or a kingdom. And he says the wicked, they have no power to resist whatever comes against them. He doesn't define what it is that might come against them. Maybe it's the just judgment of God that comes against them. Maybe it's temptation. Maybe it's sickness, trouble. Whatever it is, the wicked who have no root, they fall. They cannot stand. He, he talks about this elsewhere in Proverbs. Uh, if you go to Proverbs 10, 25, he says, When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever when the storm comes. Right? Uh, you go to Proverbs 28, verse 1. He, he says this, The wicked flee when no one pursues. I mean, nobody's coming. And they flee. They run in fear. The wicked Flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked are so unstable that they just somewhat live in this state of fear, even when there's nothing there to fear. But those who seek godliness have a life of stability because we are founded, we are grounded upon the truth of God. God's word and what God desires for us and the life that God desires for us. And so we remain standing. Is your life stable? That no matter what circumstance comes, you remain solid, steady, resolute, not because of your power, but because of your faith in a God who is going to see you through no matter what comes. Life stability. Another contrast that he gives is the contrast of our influence on others. 
the wicked and the, the godly have a different influence. Now, the fact is this, we all have influence. Every one of us. You might think, no, 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 I'm not important. Nobody really looks up to me. No, 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 no. You have influence. You may have influence upon those who are above you. You may have influence on those who are under you, beside you. But you have influence on others around you. Here's what Solomon has to say about that. Look at verse 4 and 5 there in Proverbs 12. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Do you hear the influence that a wife can have on a husband? I think the inverse can also be said that the influence that a husband can have on a wife. We can be a positive influence in our marriage or we can be a negative influence in our marriage. It's your choice. Verse 5, the thoughts of the righteous are just and hear this, the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. You see, you can trust the godly to give you good counsel, to, to be a positive influence, but the, the counsel of the wicked, he says, is based in deceit. You've got to be careful. There's a great contrast there. If you go to Proverbs 10, 7, he says this, the memory of the righteous is a blessing, right? The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. We can have influence beyond the grave, and the memory of the godly, they, it's a blessing. Man, I remember. I remember what they, how they were, who they were, what they did, how they made me feel. It's a blessing. But the memory of the wicked rots. And let him go. What kind of influence do you have on others? Hmm. Last contrast is this, the impact of words. The impact of words. Now, this definitely goes along with, our, with the topic of influence. Our, our words can have a great deal of influence on others. But if you look at verse 6, this is what he says there about our words. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. See, the wicked use their words for evil purpose. They seek to destroy others with their words, putting down others, cutting down others, gossiping about others, go on. While the godly use their words to build others up, even to deliver them, help them through circumstances, trials, and challenges of life. He says this over in Proverbs eleven nine: With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. By knowledge, the righteous are delivered. Our words are a good indicator of what is in our heart. I think Jesus spoke to that over in Luke chapter 6 when he said it's from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And sometimes that wickedness, that evil just comes out. We try so hard to contain it, but sometimes that is the point of escape the mouth that's where it comes out do your words help or do your words hurt hmm. 
So after listening to this list of contrasts, and, and he gives some others, and I think most of them can probably fit underneath those four, but there may be some others. But as you listen to this list of contrasts between the wicked and the godly, I, you know, maybe the question is, who wants to be godly? <laughs> All of us, we, we would rather be on that side because we want to have the favor of the Lord on our side, right? We, we want to be that way described in those ways, but the question is, how do we get there? How do we, how do we become godly? Instead of just masking it, just, you know, you can do that, but, but at some point it's just going it's, it's to come out. How do, we, how do we move towards godliness? Well, again, I think Paul gives us a little bit of training in this as he's talking to young Timothy and Titus, and that's the first one. We have to train for godliness. We have to train for it. Like anything of value in life, it, it takes effort. It <laughs> doesn't just happen. You've got to put something into it. Remember, we're not talking about salvation. We're not putting effort into earning our salvation. We're, we're talking about the life that Christ has called us to as his devoted followers. Now, how do we, how do we get there? How do we continue to grow in that godliness? It, it takes intentionality. It takes effort. It takes, as he calls it, training. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy over in 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, here it is, train yourself for godliness. It takes effort. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Training is a daily endeavor. And if we're going to be godly, we have to train for it every day. It doesn't just happen. We don't just walk up, wake up one day and go, oh, I'm godly. Wow. I've been praying about that. Thank you, God. No. It takes effort. And we work towards that. What does training look like in the life of a believer, a devoted follower of Jesus? It looks like study. It looks like prayer. It looks like action, the study of God's word. Praying for God's wisdom and leader, leading as we go through this life and press on through the challenges of, the, of this life. And action, those things that we study about, those things that we pray about, we put into action in the life that we live. That's training. We have to train for godliness. Also, we have to pursue godliness. You might think those are very similar. Maybe they are, but we have to pursue it. Listen to what else Paul tells Timothy over in 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. He says this, But as for you, young Timothy, O man of God, flee these things. He just gave him a whole list of things that he shouldn't have, wicked things that he shouldn't have in his life. Flee those things. And here it is. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Pursue those things. Now, that word pursue carries with it this idea of being passionate towards it. Not just lackadaisical, yeah, if I get around to it, I'll try to be godly, you know. But to pursue it, the, the image that we're given here with that word is it's like a hunter that is in pursuit of a catch. It's very fitting for this time of the year as we have deer hunters that are out in their blinds, maybe even right now. And if you're skipping church to go deer hunting, your penance is to bring the preacher deer jerky. Okay, anyway, let's uh, go on. Um, What are you passionate about? What are you pursuing in this life? There are so many things in this life that captures our passion, captures our, our desire. 
Are you passionate? Are you pursuing the life that God desires for you? We need to be passionate in our pursuit of godliness. And the last thing is this. Not only do we train, not only do we pursue, but we show it. We show godliness. And I believe that's a natural response. When we train for it and when we pursue it, it's not going to be long before we show it. Paul, again, talking to Timothy, there's an issue in the church, or seems to be an issue in the church, is some of the widows of the church who are taking advantage of the things of the church, or maybe the families of the widows are taking advantage of the church. And so Paul addresses it, and this is how he says it over in 1 Timothy 5, verse 4. He says this, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness. There it is. Show godliness to their own household and to make some, uh, make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. He says part of being godly is it comes out and we show it in the how we take care of others starting with our own family and then beyond that how we live our lives before others you see when we live out godliness it shows people see it when we stand in godliness we stand in stark contrast to the rest of the world when we serve, when we love, when we give, when we sacrifice, we're different. I don't have to convince you that we live in a godless, wicked society. It's dark. Watch the news. And it's very easy for this world to have influence on us, isn't it? And we can become much more godless than godly, even in the church. We can accept a lower form of godliness than what God intends. And it seems in many of our churches and as believers, many of us, we have replaced the godliness that we read about in Scripture for some westernized cultural godliness that quite honestly is a very anemic substitute for what God desires for us. We water it down, we Americanize it, we make it easy because we want everybody to be happy in our churches We see it as followers, so-called followers of Jesus, think that they're doing God a favor by showing up at church once a month or even once a week. And we make that a sign of our godliness. Many who bear the name Christian make godliness some system of moral behavior. As long as I do the right things, then it's, it's this work-based mentality. As long as I show up at church, as long as I serve in a ministry, as long as I'm in a group, then I'm super Christian and I can do anything else I want and I can let my sin go because all those things, what do they do? They're just disinfectants. They can cover up everything and I can keep doing what I want to do, the wickedness that I'm storing inside. And so we... We see this play out in the lives of people whenever they make statements like this. I'm striving to live godly, and we're trying to be godly as a couple, but, but our kids don't want to go to church. Now, sometimes kids just don't want to go to church. I, I gather that. I get that. I've seen that. 
But it also could be, maybe your kids don't see any difference in your life, any difference a church or God is making in your life, and so they say, what's the use? That could also be the case. Well, I'm trying to live godly, but my marriage is falling apart. Are you, are you being godly, or is, are you approaching marriage as one who is selfish, and it's all about you, and you are not motivated by your love and your desire to be the husband that God's called you to be as Christ loved the church. I'm trying to be godly, but my life is empty and unfulfilled. Well, maybe you've bought into this culturalized godliness and you're only in pursuit of the things of this world and the ways of this world and you have given in to the pursuit of more, more stuff, more money, bigger house, more sexual conquests, more and more and more. And we even put a spin on that one. We say, well, God wants me to be happy. No, he doesn't. <laughs> I mean, God, maybe he does. We could probably find a verse that would somewhat support that. But, but the reality is he wants you to be obedient. Godliness is surrender. Godliness is dying to yourself as Christ has called us to. Godliness doesn't look like the American dream. It looks like death. Fully devoted to God. And studies have proven over and over that uh, Christians in America don't look a whole lot different than non-Christians in America. And maybe Paul, when he was talking again to young Timothy and he was giving him a glimpse of what it was going to be like in the end days, maybe we are beginning to see that play out today when he says this over in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not... Loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. I know so many of us were trying so hard to look godly, especially when we come to this place. We try so hard to put on the mask and disinfect and we, we spray it all over. And we try, we try to make sure that we, we look the part, right? But the stench is still there. It's on the inside and it's what's on the inside that matters. Followers, hear this, maybe you want to write this down. Followers of Jesus pursue a life devoted to him followers of jesus pursue a life that is devoted to him so let's pursue this life let's pursue godliness and when we do we'll be a different people we'll be a different church 
and we will stand in stark contrast to the rest of this world. Father in heaven, may we take serious our devotion to you. May we be real. May we call sin, sin. May we identify the sin that we've been keeping in the background of our lives and God help us to put it to death help us to put our old life to death and grasp hold of pursue after train for this life of godliness that you have called us to as your followers let us live it out we love you in Jesus name